Well, good morning. How are y'all doing out there? I'm going to try to do this without sunglasses, so I'm going to work on my crow's feet this morning. Anybody else have those? No, not at all? Yeah, my wife tends to point mine out uh, on a regular basis, so. But um, they're, they're looking pretty good, though, I think, this morning. You guys look great, though, and I just want to say uh, a big welcome to all of you. Thanks for getting out here. I know it's a little earlier than our normal start, and uh, again, the the change of venue, I think, is exciting. It's, it's great to be outside. I'm glad the sun has finally uh, found its way out this weekend. I know it's been a, a tough, little bit of a tough sledding for uh, the fest here, but the rain and everything, but it looks like today's going to be a great day. And um, just as we get started here, I just do want to say a big thank you to the downtown uh, district for giving us this opportunity to be out here on the main stage. Um, we are, again, in our <laughs> the name of our church is Long Grove Community Church. And so we have this deep desire to be a part of the community, to be um, out uh, in the community. And I don't know that you can get much more in the community than where we're sitting right now uh, on the street in downtown. So it is good to be out here. Um, I am going to stop with my intro because I'm panicking a little bit as a pastor who tends to preach a little bit longer. Um, we've got obviously a bit of a time limit today. So I'm just going to jump in here to what uh, I believe God's put on my heart to share uh, with all of you today. So uh, again, if you have uh, your phones out already to the bulletin, I believe that the, some of the scriptures will be in there. Um, if not, you're welcome to look them up um, as we, we go through this time. Um, as we begin today, I, I want to begin with uh, an interesting uh, news article that appeared uh, about back in 2015, and it, it showed up, and the, the title or the headline of it was, Polite Florida Thief Returns Stolen Items repairs window when caught red-handed. And I don't know about you, but that's a very interesting thief. And, you know, I think the headline catches our attention. I just want to read just kind of an abbreviated version of the, the article just to kind of get to some of the details. Uh, it says, he may be the most polite burglar you've, you'd ever want to meet, but that doesn't mean a Florida woman was happy he was in her home. When the Palm Bay resident caught the 20-year-old male rummaging through her boyfriend's belongings, the alleged thief admitted he was trying to rob her so he could buy his son Christmas presents. She called the police, but instead of fleeing the scene, the apologetic man instead stayed and fixed the screen he had knocked out to enter the apartment. I made him leave, and when I came back, he put the screen back on, the victim told the police dispatcher. And listen to this. She also noticed that she was missing about $260. I asked him, where's my money? And he's like, I forgot to give it to you, she said. The man ended up returning the money and all the stolen belongings, but the police still had to charge him with the theft, the station reported. Now, again, I don't know if you've ever heard of stories like this before. I had not, and I doubt that if you even did a Google search today, you would find something even similar, right? It's very uncommon for a thief, I think, to be uh, this polite, as the article said. And, you know, again, even if you searched high and low, it just doesn't match the character you would think of as a thief. Now, this gentleman, of course, seemed to be a person in a desperate situation, in his mind anyway, and somehow tried to say this was okay to do this, if, you know, to try to help get his, his, his family Christmas presents. But uh, the interesting thing, though, and what we're going to look at today in the scripture is there's a similar person that we find, and that thief, that man, his name is Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus. And, you know, if you grew up in the church or spent any amount of time, in, especially in children's ministry, this is a, a favorite character. If you recall the, the man who climbed the tree, right? Anybody climbed a tree before? <laughs> few, okay, two people. That's good. Well, there are trees here. We've got plenty on the campus. You're welcome to give it a shot later. Of course, we're, you know, free of all liabilities if anything should happen. But, um, but anyway, this, this man had climbed a tree, and it was for a specific reason and a specific purpose. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke's Gospel uh, in chapter 19. You can also, again, I think it's in your bulletins, or you can use your app. I'm going to be reading today from the New Living Translation um, for the, the main text here. And so Luke chapter 19, and we're going to begin right at verse 1. And it reads, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be with the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if, you, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today once again, God, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for... The, this uh, group of people that sits in front of me this morning. God, we do pray and ask, Lord, that you would bless our time together, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. And God, we um, just recognize, Lord, just the privilege it is to be out here today, gathered together and, and sitting under this beautiful sun and weather that you provided. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So as we jump into this account here, I just wanna share just a couple things. Um, you know, one thing to note uh, in this chapter that happened, or the chapter that happened before this, is there was another man who was wealthy. And if you've ever heard that story or that account of the rich young ruler who was not willing to give up what he had, you know, that was Jesus, what he said. He said, you know, sell all your possessions and follow me. And, and the man walked away crying because he could not come to that place. And also, just prior to this, is, is Jesus uh, healed the blind man that was right outside Jericho, the man that was crying out, you know, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, right? And so this had just happened, and this may have contributed to kind of the, the crowd. Now, Jericho was a busy city, and of course, there were people um, already there, lots of people, but also people were following and probably walking with Jesus uh, in this moment. Now, when you were a, a child, and you know, for some of us, it wasn't too long ago. For others, it was a, a minute ago. Um, if you think about it, I don't know about if you remember these moments, but I remember when we were in crowds, right? And we were like in a very busy place. And, you know, when you're very small, it, it can kind of, it can be a little overwhelming. And especially if you need to see something, right? And it was one of my favorite things was always, you know, when, when my dad would take me or one of my older brothers and they would put me up on their shoulders. 
Um, anybody ever experienced that or you remember that? Tried that recently? It, no? Um, but it's, it's really just something when you're in that crowd and how the perspective changes, right? How then you can see everything clearly, you can see what's important. And so again, this, this man Zacchaeus, there's a few things to note about it and, it, and it's always interesting, but it's, it's, it's always for a reason that, that these details are in scripture. And it says that he was short and he was small in stature. So this was not a very large man. And there was a reason he needed to climb the tree. You know, I think, again, for any of us, probably to see a, a grown man climb a tree would be in, intriguing, I think, uh, just to be on the side of the road and, hey, there's a man in a tree. But Zacchaeus knew that to get the perspective he needed to be able to see Jesus, he needed to be up in that tree. And so, again, we see this happening. We see it occurring in this town called Jericho. Again, a town that most of us are probably very familiar with, have heard it a lot. But just to give a few details to help our understanding today, that Jericho was a very wealthy town of importance. All right? It was a very, a lot of money went through Jericho. Because geographically, if you've ever seen the Dead Sea, right on the northern side of it is Jericho. And again, all traffic, you know, if you come, if you're going from east to west and you're wanting to go towards the Mediterranean Sea, and you're going to go around the Dead Sea, if you go to the, nor the northern route, it's going to take you to Jericho. And Jericho you would get to before you got to Jerusalem. And so it was a high um, place of travel, of interaction. Lots of things happening because, again, many of the travelers going to Jerusalem would pass through Jericho. And, and again, it, it controlled that approach. And even, you know, at the top, at the tip of the Dead Sea, the, uh, the Jordan River comes off. And that to cross that, that would be right there at Jericho as well. So, again, lots of stuff happening. Many people living there, many people passing through. Now, we also find here in this passage that, that he wasn't just a tax collector. It says that he was a chief tax collector, meaning he had a, a probably a greater scope of responsibility. All right? He had to oversee many, many things. Now, remember here that tax collectors were not uh, very liked people. We'll just put it that way. Um, I don't know if today there was such a thing. They probably wouldn't be liked much today. I don't know about you. You know, uh, but taxes and me, they just don't mix well together. I don't mind doing my part, but sometimes I feel like I'm doing a lot more than I should be. <laughs> um, and so, you know, these people, though, in this time were outcasts. They were made wealthy, oftentimes through extortion of their own people. All right. The other Jews, they would be, you know, taking money from them. And they were they were making a, a, a lot of money, more than they needed. And it was done in such a way that it was really on the backs and on the shoulders of these other Jews. And so they were considered sellouts in a lot of ways. They were, they were sellouts. And so let me explain, though, because, again, we think we have an idea of how taxation works in our setting, which we probably have a good grasp of that. But it was a little different back then. What would happen is Rome would assign a district um, a monetary figure they would have to meet, right? There was a certain number, a certain amount of money that they had to take in and, and give and present to, to the Roman government. And what would happen is they would sell that right, if you would, to the highest bidder. And so you would have different tax collectors, these, these, these men that would come and they would, they would basically bid, thinking in their mind, well, I need to make this, this much to pay Rome, and then I've got to make this much to meet my bid of what you know, I think that, that, that I have to, to pay them. And then I've got to make this much more to put the money in my pocket, right? And so, you know, we see very quickly, quickly it's a little different than when in our culture how things work with our government directly. 
Here, the person, the middleman, if you would, would, would stand to gain a lot of money if, if he could do things well. Well, I, if he was good at his job, I'll just say that way. I won't say they did things well. And so this format would lead to a multitude of abuses by tax collectors, right? And, and it explains why they were constantly being lumped with sinners. Understand that the term sinner and tax collector were almost interchangeable, right? Because the way that these, these people functioned, they were, again, looked down on, people disliked them, and they were, they were these outcasts. And so that's the, that's the crew, that's the, the mold, if you will, that Zacchaeus fit in. He was one of these tax collectors, not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. And so, we, again, we see here in, in Luke that just how much people were despising him, because it says that they grumbled about Jesus going to be the guest of a notorious sinner. And think about that for a second, you know, as, again, we think about Jesus, and we think about the crowd that was with him that were probably cheering for him, that were probably wanting to, to, to you know, just have a moment to chat with him for whatever that, that interaction might be. And then suddenly, again, they recognize him as, as Jesus and possibly the Messiah. We don't know for sure. But in a moment, he makes a decision and walks off with this, this sinner to go to, 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 to be in his home. And it says they grumbled because of his presence with this notorious sinner. But the thing I want us to catch here this morning is that Zacchaeus climbed that tree for a reason. He climbed that tree not just because he was short in stature, but he wanted to see Jesus. You know, and again, maybe he heard what had happened just outside the town with the healing of the blind man. Maybe he heard just who Jesus was. Maybe he just thought Jesus was a person of, of high stature or, or, you know, this famous person that he wanted to see. We don't know his heart, but he made an effort beyond, you know, what was probably normal to be able to put his eyes on Jesus. And as Jesus was passing through Jericho, again, get this in your mind, this, this scene of all these crowds and these people gathered and pressing in around Jesus and all this hustle and bustle of any, any busy town. And Jesus is passing through and he looks up at the tree. Zacchaeus was perched in. There were probably many trees. There may have been other people in trees. I don't know. But he recognizes this tree and he recognizes this person and he calls to him and he instructs Zacchaeus to come down quickly. All right. He says, Zacchaeus, I need you to come down here. Why? Why would he instruct him? Why would he even, you know, turn his gaze towards this strange man in a tree? <laughs> Not to mention a tax collector. You know, the ESV translates this what Jesus says, so he could come, so, you know, it says it this way, so he could come and stay in Zacchaeus' house. How many have ever had somebody stay with you in your home? All right. How many have ever had um, in-laws stay with you? How many have ever had your mother-in-law included in that? How many, <laughs> how many of those visits lasted longer than you would have liked? Amen. Amen. Everybody take a look around, and we probably need to start a support group in that area. But, um, but yeah, that happens. Now, let me ask you this, and maybe there might be a few people, and you don't have to raise your hand, but imagine going up to somebody just you just, you just met literally moments earlier, and, you know, this interaction takes place, and that person comes to stay in your home that day, just, just having met. 
it would have been a little interesting, right? There was no, not a lot of backstory going on. And Jesus says, again, he wants him to come down so that Jesus can come stay in his home. Now, this is really interesting, and this is something I, I love when, when we get the opportunity, when I get to study scripture, and when something kind of just pops out that I hadn't seen before. And this happened this, this time around. And what was interesting is that word stay in Zacchaeus' house, okay? That word stay is, is from the Greek word uh, meno, and it means to abide, to remain, to be lasting, to endure, and to stand the consequences of. This wasn't a casual, hey, I'm going to just you know, pop in and see you and take off. There was something much deeper here that was being uh, pointed towards. In fact, that same term, and, and if you're familiar with the scripture in John's gospel, chapter 15, when Jesus is talking about abiding, right? And it's, if he says in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And you read that passage and you read about that, that word or understand that word abide. Again, to be lasting, to endure, to stand the consequences of, to remain. You know, that probably one of the closest things in our kind of culture would be marriage, right? You stay in, you, you abide, you, you're present, you're there, you remain. And that's what Jesus is talking about there in John's gospel about the vine and the branches. But also this is the same weight that this word to stay in Zacchaeus' home means, right? Are you with me? Okay, just give me this if, you got, if you're with me. Okay, so Jesus wanted to dwell in Zacchaeus' home. If any of you have gone out before and if you've got had to stay somewhere else, you have some options, right? And especially more and more in our culture and day, you have the option to stay in a hotel, any hotel stairs, right? Okay, just a few. And then there's another something else out there called a bed and breakfast. Have you stayed in one of those? Now, I don't know about you, but if I have my choice, I want the bed and breakfast. You know, it's usually a home. And you're usually there and you get some really good food typically. And it's something more, isn't it? A hotel is kind of just business. You want to sleep there and then you usually get out. You want to get out and do stuff. You don't want to hang out in a hotel. A bed and breakfast, though, you typically get to know the, the people that run it. It's, it feels more like you're in almost like a family, right? You're, and sometimes some of the other guests, everybody comes down and eats together for breakfast or something. And so that's the kind of feel here that's going on. That's, it's, it's a deeper thing than just, hey, I just want to get some food, take a little nap, and take off. You know, Jesus is saying here that he wants to abide, to, to do something much deeper. And so, again, going back to this scene here, who is seeking who here then? We see Zacchaeus in the tree looking for Jesus, but then Jesus sees Zacchaeus and calls him by name. How did Jesus know his name? I doubt it was because of Zacchaeus' stellar reputation, right? Perhaps, you know, he, he, he had a... a uh, uh, you know, where he used the, the supernatural ability to, to know his name or for whatever reason, we don't know, right? So we're not going to read too far into this, but he recognized him and he called him by name to come down. And he says he must be his guest in his home. And again, Jesus isn't commanding him necessarily here. It's more like if you saw somebody that was badly wounded and said, you know, we must get them to a doctor. It's like, we're not, you know, telling somebody we have to do this or you do this or else, we're saying we have to do this because their life hinges on it, right? There's something of importance. And so this is what Jesus is getting at here is we must, I must 
be in your home this evening. And the invitation brought Zacchaeus great joy and excitement. And verse 8 is striking to me. It says that meanwhile Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. This is after, again, all the people were complaining. They begin to move towards his home. And he says this, and listen to this. Jesus didn't ask him what he would do. He says this to Jesus. He says, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Does that sound like a normal response from a, somebody who's all about making the money? So something has changed here in the heart of Zacchaeus. Something is different. Here we see that Zacchaeus is already becoming a new creation in Christ, if you will. For in response to the number of people grumbling about him, he announces that he's going to give half of his money away and restore any money taken wrongfully four times. Now, I'm sure this wasn't the first time Zacchaeus heard bad words about him, right? He was a tax collector. He spent his whole life hearing about how horrible he was and how bad he was, and he probably fit the bill. But something changed, and that something or that someone was Jesus, and who is now, again, present with him in his home. And he understood that he had to make things right. Jesus sought out Zacchaeus that day, a man who was certainly among the lost. He did not leave him there, though, but instead he saved Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' life was changed in that moment that Jesus entered his home, that Jesus came onto the scene. So today, Jesus, this picture of Jesus seeking out Zacchaeus really is a picture of his pursuit of each one of us, isn't it? If you're here today in this, in this group of people and you have you know, given your life to Christ, that you, would, you are a follower of Christ, then you understand what that is, what that means, that, that Jesus has called you by name. He's, he's seen you and he's called you. And again, while Zacchaeus' actions in the end were noble, the accolades didn't truly belong to him, did they? We have to recognize here that his actions came in a response to the grace that God was showing him in this moment. He didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm just going to give everything, you know, after my possessions to the poor. It was in response to the love and the grace that, that God was showing him there as Jesus came into his home. There's an old hymn that, that was written by Josiah Condor, and it's, it's called, Tis Not That I Did Choose Thee. And again, some of the words that we don't use a lot today, but listen to this, this verse. It says, Lord, tis not that I did choose you, that I know could never be. For this heart would still refuse you had your grace not chosen me. And I think that's a powerful just way to express and describe what it is and what God, how God has saved us. It's not because we were so lovely and so wonderful and so great. It's only because of the grace of God that we have been saved. And Jesus is still in the business of calling people by name today and is desiring to come and dwell in the homes, in their lives, and in their hearts. When it is said that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that's exactly what's meant. Jesus is the one seeking, finding, and saving us. 
Imagine being stranded alone, floating in the ocean, and, and a vessel comes by and someone tosses you a life ring. You have a choice to take hold or not, don't you? And you may want to say, no, I can keep treading water, I'm okay, I'm okay, but there comes a point where in desperation you know that you need to be saved. It becomes very real and very evident. And what applies in this account from nearly 2,000 years ago still applies today, and that is God came to seek and out and find the lost. Not just leave them there, but to save them. In verse 10 of this, this passage, we see what could be described as the mission statement of Luke, which is simply, again, the last thing Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's the same business Jesus is in today, that he's still doing today. He's showing the heart of the Heavenly Father here and his heart for lost people. In Luke chapter 15, we read about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son, if you remember that. Those parables are, are, are telling of the heart of God. God doesn't want his children to remain lost. Instead, as Jesus demonstrates with Zacchaeus, he wants salvation to come and to abide in their home, in their hearts. He wants to come in and abide in their homes through a relationship with him. But let me challenge you today as we prepare to wrap up this morning. As we see and we know the heart of Jesus and what his, his, his mission is, if you will. If you profess to follow Jesus Christ this morning, where is your heart at? Because our heart should also be to seek out and to save and to reach the lost. To love them. To engage with them and to reach them. In response to God's grace, he calls us to change, but also to make amends for our past. And that may be something a little foreign to some of us. Again, there's nothing attached, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right before a holy God without Jesus Christ. But when we come to Christ, we need to understand and realize as well that there are things that we've done in our past. And again, Things, some things we can't go back and change. There's some things that we can't, you know, really get in and, and, and completely change. But much like this example we saw today from Zacchaeus, he wanted to go back and he was, he was going to pay somebody four times as much. Because, again, he wanted to make things right. And so I want to challenge all of us here to, to learn and to glean from this interaction that took place between Zacchaeus and Jesus. And through it, it does raise some questions, but it's some questions that we definitely need to ponder today. For those of you here who are here today, this morning, who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, my question is, what are you doing to demonstrate that your life has been changed today? What are you doing to demonstrate that your life has changed? I would hope that as, when you came to Christ that something was different, something changed that people can see in you. Oftentimes we start living differently going forward, but sometimes we don't tend to look back and see maybe some of the damage we might have done. And can, we, can it be repaired? It may be painful, it may be hard, it may be challenging, but I would encourage us, we don't have to dwell on that or, or live there, but we do need to take ownership and responsibility. Zacchaeus realized not only the changes that had to be made, but that reconciliation needed to take place in some areas. 
And lastly, for those here today, maybe who do not profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, my prayer and hope for you, and if you take nothing else from this message today, is that you know that God loves you deeply. As he gave his son who sacrificed himself on a cross, a sinner's death. Also that you would know that God is in pursuit of you even now. I have no idea how far my voice carries on these speakers this morning, but I know that God in his pursuit can go further. And he's pursuing the lost today. And he's doing it many times through, through you and through me. And much like Jesus spotted Zacchaeus, even amongst the crowd, today Jesus sees you even here amongst this crowd. Whatever you're doing, God sees you. And he's trying to reach you. I close today with Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know of a greater example or display of a love that goes beyond what we could imagine than for, for Jesus to lay down his life even while we were still sinners and in our place of desperate need of saving. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you for this time. God, I thank you for every single person within the sound of my voice. Again, as just many preparations are being done to prepare for the events for today, God, I just pray that we just all pause for just a moment, for this second, Lord God, as the sun shines down and the warmth from it begins to fill this place and this, this community. Let it be a reminder, Lord God, of, of your love for us and your kindness for us. No matter how hard we may try to outrun you, Lord God, we cannot. For your love is everywhere and it is, it is, it is permeating and it sees us, Lord, where we are. So God, I thank you that you are a God who pursues, who loves well, and who loves perfectly. And God, I thank you again for every person, Lord, here today. And for the word that you have, have brought, God, I pray you have spoken to our hearts, that you have challenged us, you've encouraged us, and Lord God, that ultimately you would mobilize us, Lord, to reach those who need to hear the good news. God, I thank you for, again, the, for Long Grove, and I thank you for this beautiful town. God, that you have situated, Lord, us as a, a body of Christ, as, as a church, Lord, Long Grove Community Church, Lord God, that we are present here, that we love these people, that we love every single aspect of this place. And God, I just pray that you would continue, Lord, to use us in a mighty way. Give us a great day today, Lord. Let, I pray that people would have a wonderful time celebrating the chocolate fest. God, we know that you are the one uh, who created chocolate. And so, God, we thank you that, uh, that we are able to just enjoy that, your creation. And, God, we just pray that everybody would be safe and that they would just have a wonderful time today in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.